0: What's that on Yonder Hill? Why, it's The Plunge, your favorite recap of all things shitty in America, the world's cultural and political toilet. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, and check out the Twitter page at Plunge podcast. This week, we're following up with the Golden State Killer, We're witnessing Bill Gates drink literal shit, and we'll analyze the hashtag resistances breakdown with Neera Tandon and Hillary Clinton scrambling to defend sex pests, and Joy Reid claiming her blog was hacked by forces other than her own homophobic thoughts. In terrible takes, we'll see who was more tasteless. Was it Michelle Wolf at the White House Correspondents' Dinner or Donald Trump at the Paralympics? We think the answer is not too hard to figure out. In our literacy campaign, we're talking about Nancy Eisenberg's White Trash, the 400-year untold history of class in America, and Patton Oswalt's Silver Screen Fiend. In pop culture, Meek Mill's release was a bright spot in an otherwise bleak week, in which Bill Cosby was finally convicted of crimes he committed years ago, Tina Brown received a pitch for a hashtag MeToo rehabilitation show featuring Charlie Rose, and Kanye West revealed his shared dragon energy with Donald Trump. Please note that this episode was recorded before Kanye said anything about slavery or the Holocaust, so that's why we didn't talk about it. To close out the episode, and send things off on a more whimsical note, Sam will tell a seafaring story from his childhood. All that and more on this week's show. Folks, let's plunge. Another week another edition of the plunge your esteemed podcast friends dan and sam dive deep into the muck and mire of the week's news and vomit uh, vomited back to you so sam what do you think of the week that just uh, was we're, we're taping this sunday morning so a lot going on
1: Yeah, hopefully nothing else happens today of import that we would need to include in the stories we're
0: going to talk about from this week. Well, firstly, I feel like we had to follow up on the Golden State Killer case. This 40-year-old cold case that we talked about last week, crime writer Michelle McNamara wrote this amazing book that I talked about in our literacy section, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, and wouldn't you know, a few days later, they caught the fucking guy, apparently.
1: Yeah, because we talked about it.
0: Definitely the plunge. You know, I think the cops in this situation, apparently they used a DNA genealogy website. Like, not 23andMe, <laughs> but one of those, you know. so there's There's been this huge debate over if it's okay for the genealogy websites to give your dna to the cops without your your knowledge but i think the cops should acknowledge the plunge in you know in our role in the capture of joseph james d'angelo the suspect known as the golden state killer
1: yeah not to mention that fucking 23 Me shit is a total scam uh, i had an old boss who claimed that she took a 23andMe and and told her that she was 2% Cuban. And I was like, that means literally nothing. In Cuba, there's a pretty wide group of uh, races represented. But I thought it was funny that the killer was a cop, and he was actually terminated from the Auburn Police Department, which he held that job apparently at the same time that he was doing a lot of these crimes. But he was terminated from the Auburn Police Department after being arrested for stealing dog repellent and a hammer from a (laughs) drugstore.
0: And what was crazy about it was, he probably could have kept the job as a cop if he had gone and uh, dealt with the discipline for stealing the what was it hammer and like dog, dog repellent poison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 but he didn't want them looking into his background, so so just he quit. decided instead to just quit and uh, keep terrorizing women. He committed at least 12 homicides, 45 rapes, and dozens of burglaries across California in the 70s and 80s. And he's now 72 years old. In this photograph, you gotta Google this, the Golden State Killer, Joseph James D'Angelo. He's got, like, scratches on his head, so I do wonder if there was, like, a scuffle when they detained him.
1: He doesn't look good, and definitely... This whole thing is making the basketball team name Golden State Warriors sound a bit more ominous
0: these days. Yeah, and it makes sense that he was a cop, right? Because a cop would know how to elude the law for so many years. Yep. I mean, we've
1: said before, cops are the real serial killers here, folks.
0: And uh, it's amazing that Michelle McNamara's work definitely galvanized interest in this case and good on her for creating this incredible book that I recommend anyone with any interest in true crime or just good writing, check out. It's called I'll Be Gone in the Dark, and this guy will pay for his crimes, I guess.
1: Yes, hopefully. As long as we can trust the American legal system to have a modicum of justice, I don't think that's (laughs) that easy to rely on, given that this week we saw that the Supreme Court started hearings on the third Trump travel ban um it's worth noting that the ban has been in effect since December 2017 when the Supreme Court decided to hear the case Hawaii versus Trump which has uh, attacked the travel ban which currently affects all nine countries except f- that were originally on it except for Chad now has been taken off the list
0: just wh- what is the thinking behind even having a hearing on this
1: so i mean i I tend to skew on the side of, especially nowadays, the Supreme Court and courts in general are pretty reactionary. And re- you, you can see it in, in what they've been saying about this. Um, Anthony Kennedy and other, and conservatives, um, I mean, it's, it's you expect the conservatives to do this, but it sucks that like the swing vote, you know, Anthony Kennedy also has zeroed into the, like the constitutional authority element of the ban, basically like whether Trump or the executive branch at large can, impose a travel ban not like what the the case is about which is about the biases that are like crucial to to the case against the ban the idea that like this is a muslim ban that targets muslim people disproportionately justice alito literally said it does not look at all like a muslim ban even because it only affects a small percentage of the global muslim population which is like okay yeah he didn't ban like malaysia
0: you sack of shit
1: it clearly affects disproportionately muslim people.
0: Trump has called it a muslim man. Oh
1: yeah. Roberts asked if bombing Syria is islamophobic, which is fucking stupid. He asked the plaintiffs if there was a statute of limitations on Trump's xenophobic statements because they've been mentioning his like, har- you know, his statements from like the- during the campaign, during his presidency as trying to establish a trend of like his you know racism against muslims and roberts is just not hearing all of this he clearly thinks that trump has like come a long way or something since uh making those statements solicitor general noel francisco um repeated that he also continued to use this line of argument that the executive branch uses which is that the these countries are on the travel ban because they refuse to share information about like passports And uh, how – refuse to keep records of, like, their nationals leaving or entering, um, which is total – I don't think that's total bullshit. But that's the reason they said that they took Chad off the list. It's, like, their, uh, you know, procedural, I guess, justification for why they're allowed to ban people. But uh, either way, I've been saying that this is not going to go well in the Supreme Court. And it looks like I'm going to get my I told you so moment, unfortunately, soon. So – Keep your fingers crossed that I'm wrong, but I don't see the Supreme Court taking down the travel ban.
0: Fun stuff, folks. So, speaking of shit, Bill Gates had an excellent photo tweeted from his Twitter account. It's him drinking a glass of water in some sort of factory mechanical setting, and Bill Gates says, I drank water made from human feces here's an update on the machine that produced that water now sam i've read that if we are to go to mars the astronauts to survive and have enough water they would have to drink their own leavings i i guess i mean it reminds me have you read dune dan I have not.
1: In Dune, they uh, the the desert dwelling people, the Fremen, like render people their own like uh way like their own sweat, their urine, and like they have special suits that collect the excess moisture and turn into drinking water. So it really does make me think of maybe he read Dune before coming up with this. Um, but yeah, we've got the one of the richest guys in the world drinking shit, which I'm in favor of.
0: And he said it was delicious. <laughs> I mean, ultimately this. Could be something that could help, you know, countries where they don't have access to sanitary water.
1: Yeah, there was – there's the comments on this are obviously hilarious. Uh, Don Cheadle commented at Bill Gates, uh, that's it. And, <laughs> and someone with the display named Donald Trump is a racist, which has – his avatar picture is like Obama with children. Um, He replied, he is working to help the most poor and oppressed people in the world. (laughs) Like, so he went after, like, Don Cheadle for not being woke enough about, (laughs) I I don't know, like, access to water.
0: Hey, Cheadle, why don't you hashtag resist world thirst? Yeah, (laughs)
1: like I said, it seems a little weird to be just calling people out in the uh, (laughs) Bill Gates comments section.
0: It's it's kind of funny to say, like, how dare you see the humor in, like, one of the richest men in the world drinking feces? How dare you think there's anything to laugh about here? So, uh,
1: Seinfeld current day commented with a picture of George Costanza eating the eclair out of the trash. And the comment was, suddenly this doesn't seem that gross.
0: <laughs> Just dunking
1: on billionaires on Twitter.
0: Let's talk about something a little more serious. The resistance side of the pundit spectrum. And I don't know. There's just been a lot of crazy stories this week. So I guess we're going to talk about Neera Tandon, Joy Reid, a couple of these other just delirious spin outs.
1: Yeah, the resistance wokeness overdrive that's going on right now.
0: So we have a BuzzFeed expose about the divisive fight over how a top progressive think tank handled sexual harassment. So, Sam, you had seemed to think that there is a lot of uh, sexual harassment at nonprofits and things like that, and the the, uh, policy hubs.
1: I mean exactly the uh, so the think tank in question is the Center for American Progress, which is basically a like a mill for uh, DC interns who want to work for the Democratic Party. Like if if you work there, you can work you you could have a career in politics afterwards. And I think with uh, the nonprofit sector or with policy, I think it's similar because there are these gatekeepers who kind of control whether these insecure kind of entry level people can get to crack into this, you know, prestigious industry, I guess. Um, there's a lot of like young interns in DC who want to go work for the democratic party or work in politics. And in order to do so, it, it is a, based a lot on networking and, you know, personal appeal as we've seen. Cause I mean, with, you know, big politicians tend to keep people they like around more than they keep the best people around. Like, we've talked about that on the show before.
0: The president of the Center for American Progress is one of the most odious, irritating Hillary partisans, uh, Nira Tandon. Here's an example of the hypocrisy once we go into what she's now accused of in terms of her organization's handling of this stuff the organization's president Neera Tanden has vehemently criticized Republicans for their reactions to accusations of sexual misconduct against Donald Trump and tweeted in the tweet still pinned to her profile I don't think the country has understood how psychologically wounding it was to so many women that Trump won after the Access Hollywood tape So superior virtue signal there, Nira. Just excellent. When (laughs) her own organization, they didn't take any real employment actions against an employee who was accused of sexual harassment.
1: Yeah, I had a couple notes on this. Like apparently, one hour after the Access Hollywood, uh, like the infamous Trump tape, where he talked about, told Billy Bush about his. ha grabbing a junior staffer from CAP sent an exit memo to top officials detailing the sexual harassment that she had endured under her manager, who's named Benton strong blast that out there. He's a dick. It points to a lot of like bureaucratic like management like foot dragging when it comes to actually implementing anti-sexual harassment policies and trainings. CAP went as far as saying that it was legally prohibited from making any unilateral changes to CAP policy, which included addressing its sexual harassment policy and implementing trainings to address it. They claimed it was because of ongoing contract negotiations with its employee union, but former union members had noted. That C.A.P. could have done this the same way that it altered its overtime pay policy back in January 2017 by they basically engaged in a memorandum of agreement with the union, which allowed them to do so. And they could have done this, but they didn't want to. And then to add insult to injury, fucking Neera Tanden apparently outed the victim who was anonymous or they used a pseudonym for in the BuzzFeed piece that broke the story. So not good.
0: uh, Nira unintentionally mentioned the complainant's first name and apologized multiple times for doing so. And it's just egregious that you were at a time when people are doubting your HR abilities and your ability to have people feel safe reporting stuff that's happened to them. To out someone to everybody. It just it's mind blowingly stupid.
1: Yeah. But as we're gonna go into, she's not the only one who's been having a tough week trying to argue that she's woke and other people aren't. There was a story that came out, Ronan Farrow on Good Morning America claims that Hillary Clinton had scheduled an interview with him when he was at the height of his reporting on Harvey Weinstein. Won the Pulitzer Prize. Exactly, yeah. And apparently Hillary Clinton's folks got in touch with him. And said, we heard you're working on a big story. And they sounded very concerned and tried to cancel the interview. And Farrow says it was pretty explicitly over the Harvey Weinstein stuff. And Harvey Weinstein was a huge DNC donor. He's been friends with the Clintons for a long time. So, I mean, (laughs) once again, doesn't doesn't bode well.
0: And finally, Joanne Reed, MSNBC's (laughs) embattled weekend host and figure of the hashtag resistance wrote this absurd series of homophobic blog posts that, like, aren't even funny. I, Sam, no. can we go into just the the original posts a little bit? Like, what was your read on this? So she's from Florida. I think, like, apparently this was about Governor,
1: Char- at that time, Charlie Crist, Um, She repeatedly mocked – she basically thought that he was a a closeted homosexual. She referred to him as Miss Charlie. She was – and, you know, she came out – I think she also had some posts. She said that, like, um, Brokeback Mountain's gross because it has gay sex in it. She's like, it's natural for heterosexual people to think that gay sex is gross. And basically, like – what 90s to mid 2000s homophobia I would say I think that a lot of other liberal and even left leaning fucking like pundits today wrote a bunch of shit like this or said shit like this back in the 90s and 2000s which doesn't excuse it but her reaction to this has been so much like more insane and that himself. is the
0: thing that her defenders have been ignoring. They're all saying, like, I saw, like, fucking Eric Holder or fucking, <laughs> like, just every, every fucking rando liberal under the sun saying Joy Reid is a fighter for the LGBT community and is an extreme woman of honor. And it's, like, just... No one is saying that she should get fired over the posts engaging in a homophobic humor before it was too uh, obscene to do so. Because, like, you can't just, like, erase, like, every single ho- i mean, like, if you held everybody to that standard, I, I don't think there would be—I uh, think it would be a lot more than just her.
1: I mean, that's true. And whether that's a bad thing or not leaves to be seen.
0: But the lying is insane. Yeah, that's true. It's it's George Costanza level deceit. That <laughs> was hacked! Someone said this on Twitter. It was like the episode where George drives Susan's parents all the way out to the edge of the Hamptons saying that he has a house in the Hamptons and they just go along with it knowing he's lying and they just keep pushing it. So all these people defending Joy Reid are completely ignoring the fact that she is obviously lying about not having written these because the original tweets where she linked to these posts are still up. Um, Yeah. One of them, I, I mean, someone pulled this up. Who knew Ken Melman was gay except everybody? Jeez, next time they'll tell us Rick Martin is, wait a minute, just like super basic, like boring ass, like whatever humor.
1: Yeah, so basically, she all she had all these hacky stories that suck, and then she said, I think in December she had apologized, owned up to some of them, and said like, "Oh, I've grown as a person. Like we were all homophobic back in the day. Sorry. With, like a normal apology." But then. Recently, they unearthed like, way more of them, of these homophobic blog posts, and instead of, like, being like, oh, I'm sorry, she said, oh, these ones are because Russian hackers went into the Wayback Machine, like, that Internet Archive site, and added these blog posts in, which is the stupidest fucking thing ever, because clearly the Wayback Machine can verify whether or not it's been hacked, and... So to, to combat this, what Joy Reid claimed that she knew a cybersecurity expert who confirmed that she had been hacked, this guy had previously bragged, Jonathan Nichols, had previously bragged about affiliations with neo-Nazis. Like, she just keeps digging herself deeper.
0: And as soon as he became, uh, like, dragged into this story, he, like, put his Twitter on private and tried to, like, hide himself, this Jonathan Nichols guy, but...
1: Yeah, he's the guy who said he was affiliated with neo Nazis, and Joy Reid is toxic to him. <laughs> They're resistance, baby. But uh, so PFLAG, Flag, um, you know, massive like uh, LGBT advocacy group rescinded Joy Reid's media award for her LGBT advocacy because like fucking duh. And apparently the FBI is also investigating the hacking now, which is
0: stupid. Yeah, the fact that she is like. Yeah, yeah, I didn't do it. Uh, okay, we're going to get the FBI involved. Yeah, yeah, do that. They'll, they'll figure it out. Like, it, Again, it's Costanza level, just pushing the lie.
1: <laughs> and yeah. then we
0: have the Daily Beast is going to hit pause on Joy Reed's columns, according to their executive editor, Noah Schachtman. Oh,
1: what a tragedy, man.
0: I know. It's quite funny. And then on her Saturday show this weekend, Joy... Apologized that people are construing that she wrote those homophobic posts, but she is saying that she didn't write them still.
1: Yeah, uh, that's just bizarre. And uh, I mean, we also probably, you may be confused as to why we're predisposed to dislike Joy Reid. She is like the ultimate person on Twitter who punches left against like Bernie bros. She uh, thinks that every, she uses this Russian hacking line for basically everything that goes wrong with like center liberal politics. She's also a hack. She did previously claim that Bernie was like the future of the democratic party, but then switched lines on that when it became like opportunistic to do so. She had that bizarre tweet about how like Trump only dates women from former Soviet republics, where she revealed that she knows nothing about history or geography and um, She's just a dumbass, and it's it's fun to see her get her come up comeuppance a little bit.
0: But it is bizarre to see the just complete dissonance among these liberals who squawk about fake news, and then it's okay that Joy is just clearly lying through her teeth here.
1: It weakens the liberal cause, not just with people like us who would be more inclined to be sympathetic to the liberal cause, but, I mean, like— this is fodder for, like, conservative media right now. Like, liberal host thinks she's so great, but she's a homophobe. Like, why couldn't she have been on like, oh, it's, it? Like, just, it just makes it so easy for them. Like, don't and also don't be homophobic. It's horrible. It's horrible. Don't do that.
0: At the end of the day, if she had said, like, I wrote the posts and said apologized for it, I think we could just be done with this and move on. But now yeah. this, like, <laughs> Costanza-level caper is just, like never gonna fucking end anyway and
1: as i said that is what she initially did but ah well we gotta get off of that i mean let's go to the male side of the resistance uh james comey you told me is being turned into a comic book
0: right it's a 24 page comic focusing on the former fbi director james comey's origin story (laughs) the cover is just like comey sort of like Watercolored, and then behind him is this red, devilish Trump, and this like aquamarine Hillary. It's very bizarre.
1: The force of goodness caught between these two people. I don't know, it's pretty dumb.
0: Now, we have seen the Obama Biden comic, Barry and (laughs) Joe, which was apparently pretty comedic, it was kind of like silly Batman and Robin kind of thing but this comey one is supposed to be about honor and like justice i think it's like entirely serious and it's gonna talk about the 1977 incident when james comey and his brother were held at gunpoint in their home during a home invasion yeah
1: which is crazy to me i'm like it would be make a lot more sense if it was a barry and joe style kind of like hilarious romp if he was like i don't know made up and fantastical and it was the way that liberals think about james comey that'd be fine but the fact that they want to make it like this i don't know realistic graphic novel about the origin of the most boring person in the world so fucking dumb there are better comics out there
0: the writer michael frizzell said to put it mildly comey's story is in flux for this first book I thought it best to explore what makes the man tick, what motivates him. It's, like, (sighs) propagandistic. Why does everything have to be turned into, like, this superhero thing? Uh,
1: Because we literally can't connect with the world in any other way these days, as is, like, fucking made apparent every day.
0: Let's go into this next one with uh, Lee Fong from The Intercept talking about secretly taped audio Revealing that Democrats don't really want progressive challengers to run for office. So this story is pretty fucked up. Steny Hoyer, who is the
1: number two Democrat in the House of Representatives, has been kind of a prolific campaigner on behalf of current and former potential members of Congress. But this story, he was recorded asking Levi Tilleman, who is this kind of further left-leaning candidate in a House race in Colorado, To drop out of a primary against Jason Crow, who's like a corporate lawyer, kind of like more centrist candidate, because the Democratic leadership, they don't want like competitive primaries. They want just a safe bet like Jason Crow to run against Mike Kaufman. And by safe bet, it's clearly they mean someone who's not going to offend their donor class.
0: Yeah, they don't want anyone with any sort of earth-shattering beliefs about, I don't know, alleviating poverty or, you know, the things that matter to us—healthcare.
1: Exactly, and and Hoyer went as far as to compare. He was like, "We don't want something similar to like what th- happened to the Republicans in Alabama." Comparing. Levi Tilleman to Roy Moore, the fucking like pedophile who ran against, uh, what Doug Jones in Alabama, which is a
0: fucking joke. Like, what, because he supports single payer healthcare? Yeah, it's like, that's the extremes that you get on the left versus when you're an extreme member of the right, you're, like, a pedophile and, like, a, I don't know, a fucking, like, cannibal or something. Right, but, know. Like...
1: But, but, to, but to minority whip Steve Hoyer, it's basically the same thing. It just reminded me of that other story we talked about earlier this week of um, the DNC has been secretly funding Don Blankenship's primary run in West Virginia, that fucking insane, like, oil baron with obscene beliefs and and a horrible track record but at the same time the GOP is actively trying to sabotage Don Blankenship's primary run so that's democracy for you that's what we're at with these two parties they're basically the same thing they want the most bland boring politicians possible so that nothing happens in this country and that the people who continue to plunder this you know our resources and our tax dollars and shit can just do it with impunity that's that's where we're at folks
0: Sam, that story is very sad and bleak and doesn't bode well for the future of democracy. So I decided to pull something from the archives to lift our spirits. Now, let us pray with George Clooney's A Prayer for Our Country that he wrote exclusively for the Daily Beast. Uh, God. <laughs> what is this shit? <laughs>
1: Dan, my my head is bowed uh, in solemn reverence. Please speak these war- healing words into my headphones.
0: I pray for my country. I pray that we can find more that unites us than divides us. I pray that our nation's leaders want to do the same. I pray that young children like Tamir Rice can feel safe in their own neighborhood. I pray for all of our children. I pray for our police and our first responders. I pray for our men and women of the armed services. I pray that dissent will always be protected in this great country. I pray for a more perfect union. And when I pray, I kneel. (laughs) literally wrote this is like something a a fifth grader would yeah
1: i was just gonna say that like this i think like when i was 11 i probably wrote this for like my social studies class this is terrible
0: i could see this in like really really like you know sloppy handwriting on that like huge lined paper that you use to like learn handwriting
1: this also seems like um remember when Sarah Huckabee Sanders claimed that, like, some, like, fifth grader named, like, Pickles or something was sending, um, letters to Trump about how much, like, Pickles loved Trump or something stupid. (laughs) Like, it was clearly made up. And, of course, we could go into, like, how it's contradictory to pray for Tamir Rice and also pray for the police and our first responders who killed him. But, I mean, we shouldn't treat this with any more, like, sincerity than it's worth.
0: I think, uh, you should, uh, slap that on film and, uh. Maybe another Oscar for old Georgie. (laughs) Now, let's play some audio of... I'm sorry, this is one of the premier Trump moments of all time. This is Donald Trump talking to the Paralympians at the Paralympics.
1: So today, on behalf of the United States, I want to thank every Olympian and Paralympian. And that was just incredible. And what happened with the Paralympics was uh, so incredible and so inspiring to me and I watched it's a little tough to watch too much but I watched as much as I could it was really fantastic and I want to thank you
0: so Sam what I heard was Donald Trump telling a bunch of disabled athletes that it was tough to watch them <laughs> yeah th- this is a man who looks like a... like this is like a bit from come town yeah it really is <laughs> um this is like barely even real yeah
1: i mean you know that on this show we're not phased by a lot that trump says but this one is so fucking bad i mean also the idea that like somehow the paralympics are harder to watch than like trump's like rumpled fucking pumpkin face with like his carpet hair that you can see his scalp through something I the idea that like he is maybe like okay to look at and that the Paralympic Paralympian athletes are not is fucked up. All of this is terrible. I mean, his track record on talking to disabled people is horrible going back to when he mocked that uh reporter during the campaign. So whew, what a president,
0: nothing but respect for my president. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> so last uh, terrible take I want to do is this uh, politico, Playbook thing that came out this morning from Jake Sherman, Anna Palmer, and Daniel Lipman from Politico. Michelle Wolf took it too far. Make fun of someone's politics. Make fun of their quirks. Don't make fun of them as a person. The White House Correspondents' Dinner is supposed to be a lighthearted affair that honors good journalism and raises scholarship money. Sure, it's gotten a bit out of hand. But there's no reason to be mean. Mean isn't funny. As John Boehner used to say, it costs nothing to be nice. And then Maggie Haberman, that fucking, like, like, that at press sex sat and absorbed intense criticism of her physical appearance, her job performance, (laughs) and so forth, instead of walking out on national television, was impressive If you're impressed by Sarah Huckabee Sanders, like, you're just, like, a disgusting hog.
1: Yeah, I I don't know what the point of... I I mean, she's not... Maybe she's good at translating the chaos of the Trump administration into something that doesn't get everyone fired instantly, but I don't think she really contributes very much. Specifically, like, some of the things that I think they were responding to that michelle wolf said at the correspondence dinner she called ivanka trump as helpful to women as an empty box of tampons which is actually very funny
0: and uh, my favorite one was the one where she said uh joe scarborough and mika brzezinski getting together was like a me too gone right <laughs> gross
1: she uh yeah brian Kilmaid, one of the co-hosts of fox and friends said it was personally offensive and all this shit i mean these are people who go on the tv and talk about how like poor people are like are shouldn't be allowed to breed and stuff like i don't you don't need to take these people seriously when it comes to being like sanctimonious yeah
0: just the tremendous like dorks that are out there complaining about this, like a, you hire a comedian to like roast the fucking event and the journalists. Like, what do you think they're going to do? B the whole event is grotesque anyway. Like if you're at that event, like taking selfies with Sean Spicer, you should be like, (laughs) I don't know. That's all that event is. It's just, you know, people who read news on TV, uh, rubbing elbows with the people who lie to them every day it's disgusting it's absurd and the fact that they are so self-important that they think they're above like mockery is just a testament to like i mean how uh they perceive themselves oh and uh the uh correspondence in her head already like apologized for bringing michelle wolf on because she was very offensive <laughs> So, so boring. (laughs) everything is uh, trash, so why don't we hop into the literacy campaign, where we talk about the books we have read and try to get you to maybe read as well. Uh, Trash is part of the title of the book Sam's going to talk about.
1: Yeah, the book I want to talk about this week is called White Trash, the 400-Year Untold History of Class in America by Nancy Eisenberg. She's a history professor at Louisiana State University. This book came out during the 2016 election and the panic over, like, this, you know, much misunderstood white working class. And it kind of analyzes the way that uh, class works between white people between elite whites and poor whites 400 years the sprawling survey of uh the history of like this underclass of white people all the way back from like hack light the elder who was this british um attorney who wanted to send like the vagrant poor and like listless of england to uh the colonies as like a dumping ground for literal like human refuse and she also talks, does a lot of interesting work. It really starts to like uh, pick up when she talks about the theories of like Benjamin Franklin, uh, James Oglethorpe, and Thomas Jefferson, some of her founding fathers who suck and have disgusting views on, you know, human rights. And it's very interesting. This book drew a lot of criticism for not treating race well and not drawing out the connections between poor white people and racial minorities against whom they are pitted. I kind of agree with that, but I mean, it is literally called white trash it is specifically about the way that white people victimize one yeah, another that, on the that kind of, of class that
0: kind of criticism in a book is generally like boring to me it's like when they were criticizing between the world and me but Tanahazi Codes for not talking about the like a uh, black female perspective and it's like he's telling his own st- yeah. it's like not everything has to be about everything <laughs> all right man. yeah like uh, but continue
1: yeah yeah <laughs> Definitely. And especially with history. I mean, my criticism of this book is that it's too general. Like for talking about class in America over 400 plus years from like hack like the elder to Trump is fucking preposterous. She can't. She does. A lot of people criticize her for glossing over certain things. And I'm like, well, yeah, because she had to gloss over like a lot. She can't, It's only like four. the book is only like 400 pages. You can't she's not going to go into like every single instance of this. It's a general survey. And I think it's intended for people who genuinely think that the only oppression in the U S is racial or like sex oppression. And that it's not that, that we don't have classes in the U S which is frankly ridiculous. And she, it, it's cool that she goes through and like talks about the theories of, I mean like, man, Thomas Jefferson was like a straight up eugenicist before they even fucking used that term. He believed totally in like breeding people and like, It's very disgusting, but um, either way, it kind of feeds into my personal belief that like if you think about the evils of capitalism and white supremacy, it's all about exclusion. Even if you fit the like identitarian and sometimes even economic profile, like even amongst rich white people, if you're nouveau riche, if you made money recently, then old money people, you're not ever going to crack into that inner society because it's not actually a meritocracy. It's all about the elites protecting their own position. Just you know, a Marxist argument, but still a salient one. I think it does do some good work on talking about how poor whites were kind of used to do the dirty work of racism. Specifically, I haven't I haven't finished this book yet, but um, it goes into Elizabeth Eckford, who is the uh, subject of the photo from Little Rock, Arkansas, where she is like screaming at a black woman who is being uh, like led to her school to be integrated. And it goes into her background how she was like a I mean, not that this absolves her, but she was what we would call white trash. She, after that picture was taken, had to move into a trailer. She had abusive relationships in her family. And it also goes into how the elite white schools in Arkansas managed to stay white by making it so that the working class schools, that one of which Elizabeth Eckford attended, had to integrate instead of them. I think it does go to show a little bit how, like... Racism was used to reinforce classism in this country, and it really does a good job of comparing Trump to Andrew Jackson, and the similarities between those two are just striking. Uh, Do you know anything, like, deep about Andrew Jackson?
0: Not crazy deep. I mean, I know he killed a lot of people with his own hands like uh native americans and such yeah
1: if trump is president deals then andrew jackson was president duels he literally infamously got into a duel with a a lawyer where he he knew that the other guy was a really good shot so he let the guy shoot him andrew jackson took a bullet in his chest that he kept the rest of his life that came like within an inch of his heart and almost killed him and per the rules of the duel Andrew Jackson had the right to either like not shoot the guy it, like with a point at point blank range, or to shoot the guy at point blank range, which is what Andrew Jackson did, killing the guy. He was constantly just like, "Oh, you don't like this policy of mine? Deal with it, or come fight me in a duel, you motherfucker." He was the voice of the cracker, which that word doesn't doesn't come from like um, I don't think it comes from slave owners cracking the whip. It's, it's specifically for people who like were squatters at the time who would go into like the frontier in like Kentucky and build a log cabin in the woods and live a very harsh kind of like subsistence farming life. And it talks about the stereotypes around them and that constituency's support for Andrew Jackson back when people like that could actually vote and stuff. Either way, it's interesting the way that Andrew Jackson kind of uses that mythology. But then when it comes to uh, actually protecting squatters' rights, he doesn't care about their economic plight. He just used them for political gain. He was very against anything that helped them out. And it just kind of goes to show that class hierarchies are kind of ensconced in the American system from the beginning. European society doesn't function if you don't have an underclass who is forced to work for next to nothing for you. There's a lot of uh, criticisms of this, but one of them is uh, Kevin D. Williamson. (laughs) Like, hated it. Our boy who we talked about when he was going to be hired on The Atlantic. But back when he was on The National Review, he wrote an article about this, calling it, like, a white minstrel show. He said it was, like, intellectually lazy and cliche. Cliche written because he's like this self appointed defender of the white working class, but also he hates them and talks about how they have to move out of Ohio if they want to have stable lives. Either way, um, the, the shitstorm around this book has been crazy, but it's definitely a, like a worthwhile read. A lot of her sources are really fucking well built up, so that's
0: what I'm on. I actually mixed it up with um, Hillbilly Elegy. And I thought we you were going to be talking about that J.D. Vance book, which is more of like a memoir. Yeah, and uh, apparently it's yeah. not. Apparently it's not very good. It's kind of disdainful. Yeah, it's disdainful, and
1: he's also like a, a Republican venture capitalist. He's you know, he, he thinks th- I, I don't know if he has the same ambitions as Nancy Eisberg does in writing her book. And yeah, like you said, it is apparently disdainful and it's more of a personal narrative too. It's not like a historical survey, but this is one that a book that, uh, white trash gets compared to a lot. So what did you read this week, Dan?
0: I read a book from a couple years ago, uh, by Patton Oswalt after reading his wife's book, I felt it would be cool to read one of his because I'm a big fan of his comedy. And the topic, honestly, really interested me. It's called Silver Screen Fiend. And the book is about how Patton justified his addiction to film and going to the movies and watching films obsessively because he believed it would make him a great director. And it traces his coming to los angeles a season or so writing for mad tv in which he was trying to pitch all of these like really like high concept like shouting out like people like maybe not like godard but people you know just like really artsy shit and he thought he was going to have this like tarantino-esque realization one day while watching a movie that would spark like his great idea and then he would direct it. But he talks about getting older and older and just not actually making any of his film ideas and talking about how being a fan of film, it doesn't translate to what it takes to be a good director. But the book definitely shows that wanting to be a director and like thinking that you can be a director just by like sitting at the movies and just like consuming other people's stuff is absurd and it, it, he said his addiction to film basically stopped when he saw the phantom menace <laughs> <laughs> the first star wars
1: prequel which is a, a atrocious film with jar jar Banks in it yeah i mean it kind of goes to show i mean i think a lot of times maybe i mean it's, it's a hacky cliche but The idea that, like, those who can do and those who cannot become critics is, like, maybe salient here. Like, the idea that maybe, I guess, people who make great art aren't the people who watched every single piece of movie, you know, out there.
0: He even makes a point of the fact that he remembers stuff more from individual films he watches now that he watches less films Definitely uh, provided a good rebuke of the idea that, like, you just need to, like, consume everything in order to create. Like, the only way to create is to create.
1: Yeah, and I mean, also, I I like anytime someone points out that artistic expression and creation is not, like, a a fucking formulaic or, like, academic pursuit. It is just, you gotta have that joie de vivre or whatever. You gotta have, like, the je je ne sais quoi or whatever other french cliche you want to drop in that uh gives people the kind of artistic spark that leads them to make great art and speaking of great art well
0: and uh before we move on from great art to more great art let me just say Patton's a really great writer and just uh the book is really funny and it's short it's a nice compact read Patton Oswalt, silver screen fiend and Sam's suggestion once again was white trash by Nancy Eisenberg check them out And like you said, great art this week. And this is the pop culture corner dedicated not to any specific film or TV show or the kind of things we've talked about recently. Mainly we want to talk about Gagne.
1: Yeah, he's had a a week. Uh, He's back on Twitter. I'm sure everyone has heard about this with his... inflammatory tweet you don't have to agree with trump but the mob can't make me not love him we are both dragon energy he is my brother i love everything i don't agree with everything anyone does that's what makes us individuals and we have the right to independent thought to which trump replied thank you kanye very cool so hell world
0: so a lot of bizarre conservative creatures that we've talked about on this show have shit their pants in excitement over this union of trump and kanye which i think sam and i can agree on this it's kind of a good it's natural fit like they're (laughs) a lot alike trump and kanye
1: yeah i mean they're both rich like reality tv guys
0: but uh people like charlie kirk was uh we saw on on twitter that he posted a video botching the lyrics to power
1: <laughs> yeah the kanye song he, what he said like one man should not have all of that power
0: <laughs> a lot of bizarre maga stuff from Kanye. He tweeted a Make America Great Again hat that was signed by Donald Trump, it looks like. And this is, you know, leading to a lot of dialogue from the famous hip-hop people community. People like Chance the Rapper came out defending Kanye, saying Chance specifically said, not all black people have to be Democrats, which is a very reasonable statement.
1: It's reasonable, but it's funny given that Chance, the rapper's family, are like all these like Chicago Democrats who have like who do a shitload of like political organizing for like the uh, Democratic establishment in a city where Democratic leadership is like I don't know maybe doesn't have its heart in the best place all the time.
0: The ultimate criticism that Chance is trying to say though is like not everything is has to be so binary, and I guess that's something we've argued on this show. Like, just because you're against Trump or for Trump doesn't mean x or y you know it's not all that simple yeah i'm not mad at him at all what did you make of kanye's i I know we don't really want to talk too deeply about like his like uh, hospitalization and stuff because not much has really been confirmed but do you think he's going maga because he's going a little um you know he's he's got mental issues or he's going maga To promote his records that are coming out.
1: I mean, like either one is like seemingly uh, equally likely to me, but uh, he's been calling. Kanye's been calling in with like these bizarre calls to uh, Hot 97's um, Ebro Darden. He's apparently is he's splitting with his management. Um, He was also talking kind of candidly about his hospitalization, and um, I I don't know. It's hard to make of anything. I mean, Kanye has released new music, which. Is something else. We got that one song that where he was like rapping "poopity scoop" over and over again.
0: Poopity scoop, Scoopity dee whoop, whoop dee scoop dee poop, poop dee scoop de scoop Whoop-de-de-scoop. whoop, whoopity scoop whoop poop, poop <laughs> whoop scoop, poop, poop, scoop de dee whoop, whoop dee scoop, whoop dee scoop poop.
1: That's fucking bizarre. It's bizarre, um, but it's not any more bizarre than his song he released with T.I. called Yay versus the People, where he and T.I. are like rapping, debating their respective political positions.
0: Let's play a little bit of that too. <laughs> Yo, Tip, I hear your side and everybody talk, though. But ain't going against the grain, everything I fought for. Probably so, yeah. But where you trying to go with this? It's some you just don't align with it and don't go again. You just reading the headlines. You don't see the fine print. You on some choosing side I'm on some unified It's bigger than yourself as a gender. If your election ain't gonna stop police from murdering it, it's Bruh, i never ever stopped fighting for the people actually wearing the hat to show people that we equal this music is fucking not really uh what i necessarily expected
1: <laughs> yeah some of the some of the couplets we can pull out uh i know obama was heaven sent but ever since trump won it proved that i could be president there, there might be an interesting commentary on this about um i guess like race versus class solidarity like the fact that kanye is explicitly saying here that he saw himself more in trump than obama is interesting to say the least but um man also what's funny is we've been getting lots of shots of the inside of kanye's house which is this like all white apparently like featureless building he tweeted one picture of his hallway with the caption like does this look like the sunken place because people were saying that kanye's in the sunken place of, like, subservience to white people that we saw in the movie Get Out. And uh, his hallway is just entirely unadorned. I don't know what he's trying to prove. It does look like he's in the sunken place. It looks like he's in this, like, hellish, like, I don't know, fucking insane asylum. You also showed me a picture of him uh, talking about Emma Gonzalez from today. (laughs)
0: Yeah, he tweeted, like, my hero, Emma Gonzalez, who obviously is one of the survivors of the Stoneman Douglas Parkland school shooting. And he then tweeted a picture that is this bizarre selfie saying, inspired by Emma. And I can't tell if he is saying that this is what I look like when I'm inspired, this, like, pensive face... Or is he saying she inspired him to shave his head?
1: Yeah, it's hard to tell Completely whether Completely
0: baffling. Yeah. I mean, and
1: we know that Kanye is baffling and, like, you know, sometimes a little politically incoherent. But uh, this week, it's just been... It, the fallout has been ridiculous. Every time I see some other conservative jackass talking about how, like, I'm glad we've got Kanye finally. Like, they're losing their minds over this, and it's just it's hell world, man. <laughs>
0: He's just trying to fucking sell the records. Like it's not. So the last thing on Kanye, the best part of this is when Donald Trump Jr. In response to Chance the Rapper saying sort of defensive Kanye saying black people don't have to be Democrats. Donald Trump Jr. said in a tweet, it's always incredible to watch a cultural shift. Happen in real time. I respect those willing to take the lead breaking with convention. That takes guts, though there's a better word for it. And then it shows two basketballs. Two basketball emojis. Which is
1: either to suggest that Chance has like basketball sized balls or that Donald Trump Jr. thinks that Chance the Rapper, who is at Chance the Rapper on Twitter, might actually be a basketball player.
0: I'd like to think that he thinks he's a basketball player.
1: Yeah. Well, either way, did you catch the uh, Sixers game with Meek Mill recently?
0: Yeah, he was there with Kevin Hart, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. That was right after his release after five months in jail. Sam, could you speak to the way he ended up in jail? This was like a weird story, right? Yeah. Meek Mill, obviously, is a pretty famous Rapper who's been uh, incarcerated in Philadelphia recently.
1: Yeah, let's play a little bit of Dreams and Nightmares here. It's a great song.
0: Ain't this what they've been waiting for? You ready? You ready? Uh, uh, I used to pray for times like this to rhyme like this, so I had to grind like that to shine like this in a matter of time i spent on some locked up shit in the back of the paddy wagon cuffs locked on wrist see my dreams unfold nightmares come true it was time to marry
1: But either way, uh, Meek Mill caught a gun and drug case in 2008 when he was like 19. He said, now that he's out of jail, that he still doesn't feel free because this case keeps following him to this day. I think we actually talked about Meek in a previous episode, but he recently violated his parole by popping a wheelie on a dirt bike while filming a music video in New York. And then later there was like some apparently an altercation in a Missouri airport that he was involved with. Um, the charges for both of them were dismissed, but he was still found by this judge to be in violation of his parole. And do you remember what we talked about with that judge?
0: Yeah. God, I don't, I don't even remember if we talked about this on air or off air, but she apparently like wanted some sort of like favors from me. She wanted signs, stuff. What what the fuck? Yeah, she was
1: like a little obsessed with him. There might have been like a bit of a sexual obsession on her part with Meek. She apparently wanted him to sign with her friend's label when like, I mean, he signed a Rockefeller now, (laughs) if I'm not mistaken, like, why would he do that? (laughs) makes no sense. But he's become kind of like a, a poster child for like how fucked up the criminal justice system is towards black people and also, and specifically also black men. He's come out with a great attitude about how he wants to commit himself towards criminal justice reform. Um, he thanks the Philadelphia's uh, DA office, which is helmed by the considerable badass Larry Krasner, um, who's really making some significant strides to reform, you know, the city of brotherly loves, the way it prosecutes crime in the city. And um, I don't know, I think it's good, especially since we've seen a, a good example of like you know, rap misleadership with Kanye just going off the rails, talking about how he loves Trump and buy the album. Um, It's good that, like, a guy like Meek Mill is talking about some serious shit that is, like, very relevant to him, but also, like, relevant to the world we live in today. It's awesome.
0: Yeah, and he's giving a ton of interviews about how this affected him and how change is needed in the unjust American prison system. So
1: speaking of injustice in the American legal system... (laughs) tell me about charlie rose's comeback show
0: (laughs) so page six reported that tina brown says she was pitched charlie rose comeback show and tina brown is a a writer and a woman's advocate who confirmed that she was approached to produce a hashtag me too atonement series starring charlie rose where he would sit down and interview others embroiled in sexual harassment scandals. Mr. Lauer, what was it like when you Donald ducked that intern and showed her your suit jacket-wearing torso with your naked pubic area?
1: (laughs) I mean, the possibilities for this show are literally endless. Like, now that we have this hologram technology, they could put in, like, Jimmy Seville... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like horrible rapists throughout history to atone for their their bullshit on the the hashtag Me
0: too show. It's very strange that the as we talked about last week, the rehab tour is starting for some of these people when they've only recently been exposed as predatorial or at least uh we could say sexually inappropriate with their coworkers and or others
1: yeah and definitely part of that might be the fact that these days because we have like information overload we get nostalgic for things that happen like insignificant things that happened like six months ago it's part of our kind of cultural cycle now but I think we, we mentioned it last time, also, like, how fucked up it is that the person you want to hear from in this situation is the rapist and not the fucking victims. Like, I, what? <laughs> I don't know. Why, why, why are they the people we want to hear from?
0: I will speak to, as someone who works in, like, the sort of, like, media industry, I think this show would be watched by millions of people. Yeah. Given that... Most of these people who have been exposed in the Me Too movement haven't really been seen in a while. But I feel like this show would just evolve into like, I'm sure he'd have like Aziz Ansari on and then it would be like, don't you think that you got unfairly whatever and juxtapose that with Matt Lauer or like, I just feel like it would get dicey real quick.
1: When it was already dicey to begin with.
0: the sure in concept it's it's egregious but in practice i feel like it would just devolve into that fucking like constant refrain of like well aren't there levels to it you know and just those <sighs> conversations that everyone has all the time you know it's it's exhausting and to think that charlie rose like feels uh, entitled to this comeback show it just shows how little he's considered that what he did was wrong perhaps
1: for sure and it also reminds me of what you said about Matt Lauer last week like are we really like do we really like is our fucking television selection really that worse off without Charlie Rose like we can't find anyone else to do this job
0: so Sam what are your final thoughts on this before we move on in terms of is there redemption for the penchant sexual predator in these situations
1: I mean that is an extremely difficult question. Um frequently I tend towards no, but if we on the left want to be hum- humanistic, we do need to th- start thinking about these questions. Having said that, I don't think like a Charlie Rose TV show is the way to for these guys to repent. I think <laughs> like I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think you're saying exactly how I feel. It's like You don't want to, like, shun and, like, execute all these men forever and say they, like, you know, should be locked in, like, the sewers to, like, battle with alligators. But at the same time, like, yeah, they don't deserve this chance to, like, fucking six months later go on, uh... Show hosted by Charlie Rose and like commiserate their predicament and like law losing their like cultural cachet.
1: Not to mention, I mean, like in a capitalist world, when these people all get paid to do this, they would go get paid to be like talk about how they raped. Like, I, I don't want to watch a show like that. I'd rather watch reruns of The Cosby Show.
0: <laughs> well, uh, it's gonna be tough now as Bill Cosby found guilty this week and. This was in Norristown, Pennsylvania. And apparently, when Cosby was convicted of three counts of aggravated indecent assault on Thursday, uh, I believe the woman's name is Andrea Constant. Uh, yes. yes, and she really fought for this for a long time. So props to Andrea Constant. Cosby lashed out at the prosecutors saying an expletive to refer to the D.A., Kevin Steele, and then Cosby shouted, I'm sick of him!
1: Yeah, he was really pissed off at Kevin Steele, the prosecutor. At one point, Kevin Steele told the judge in the case, Stephen O'Neill, that he felt that Cosby was a flight risk. Stephen O'Neill asked to where, and Steele said, to any place. He has a plane. And then Bill Cosby apparently screamed out, like, I don't have a
0: plane, you asshole! (laughs) I'm blind, motherfucker!
1: (laughs) I don't know. Um, Yeah, I'm blind. I can't fly an airplane. You can still ride on an airplane, though.
0: There was a report that Cosby walked into the courtroom like a frail old man with a cane, and then, miraculously, he walked out of the courtroom without the cane just fine.
1: (laughs) Jesus Christ. I mean, it's also worth mentioning that, uh, of course, Cosby's lawyers attend to appeal this decision, Uh, One of the grounds for appeal is actually that the judge, uh, Stephen O'Neill, refused to recuse himself after it was revealed that his wife is an activist for sexual assault victims. As if, like, you would be biased against Bill Cosby because your wife thinks sexual assault is
0: bad. (laughs) Fucking preposterous. That's, like, psychotic thinking. Like, (laughs) your wife fights to uphold like decency and the law and like you know society being like normal and that somehow just excludes you from being able to adjudicate this case properly
1: yeah i don't think that like sexual assault is like a political i mean it obviously does get political when you address ways of mitigating the issue but i think the belief that sexual assault is bad is not inherently political
0: And reruns of the Cosby show were finally pulled from uh, cable network Bounce TV after the guilty verdict, which to me is bizarre. It's either, like, pull it years ago or just keep it on. Like, it's... (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm mean, more the sh- in the I'm more in the camp of like pull it from your airwaves, but
1: I I'm actually not. I mean I'm like look it, like that show means a lot to a lot of people, and the show didn't rape anybody. He's not the only guy on the show, and maybe he doesn't need to make money off of it, and maybe he should be like ostracized or you know he's definitely one of the worst people. So I don't know like what we said earlier about, like, we don't necessarily want them to fight out in the sewers like gators. Like, Bill Cosby maybe can go fight out in the sewer with the gators.
0: Yeah, feed, feed him to a shark. Like, who cares? Yeah,
1: but either way, like, the show didn't do that. And, um... I, it's, but either way, uh, Bill Cosby's probably going to enter the state correctional system. Um, he faces up to thirty, but likely more like ten years in prison for those three felonies.
0: He's like eighty years old though, so I mean, he might not live to see. <laughs> he might not live to see himself be out of prison. Not to mention, there's uh, many, many other accusers.
1: Yeah, yeah, it could get a lot worse for him, and. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, fuck Bill Cosby.
0: Oh, I just, fun uh, Bill Cosby fact, uh, Mark Maron's uh, producer for the WTF podcast, Brandon McDonald, tweeted that Cosby wouldn't come on WTF because he objected to the name. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez,
1: yeah, people, some people really can't get over that F word, uh, the F word being fuck, not like the worst F word that floats around. But speaking of floating around, you
0: ready for story time, Dan? That was a very serious pop culture corner. We dressed some, uh, you know, some of the worst uh, among our media and entertainment class. And now Sam has a story about an odyssey.
1: Yes, to lighten things up. Basically, when I was a kid, my parents used to take me out to like Martha's Vineyard for our summer vacation every year. We'd spend like a week or two out there and uh even though i mean i guess in the 90s we could afford to do so i don't think that we could do that now but uh either way it was a big part of my childhood and i have a lot of stories from there but the first one i have to mention is like my dad was obsessed with i don't know weird solutions to his fear of water so the most preposterous example of this is that he bought this instead of buying like a normal rowboat He bought, like, this rubber inflatable rowboat. Like, Dan, I need you to get a good mental picture of this thing. It's, like, I don't know. It's, like, an inflatable fucking raft. It's, like, a life
0: raft. It's,
1: it's like, yeah. I mean, it's a little more substantial than that. It's obviously, like, you can take it out in the water and it's fine. But it's for, like, ponds and stuff. It's, like, for fun. It's not, like, an actual fucking seafaring vessel or anything. But my... (laughs) So my dad decided that we were going to go out in the surf on this thing, like into the, like, basically the, well, it's the vineyard sound, but it is the Atlantic Ocean. (laughs) And uh, it was at the Menemsha Beach, in case anyone's familiar with, like, the geography of Martha's Vineyard. So the surf's not, like, very intense there, but Martha's Vineyard does have hella riptides that can drag you out pretty far from shore. So my dad and I sat on this stupid, like, inflatable raft... And we get into a riptide, and it pulls like I'm watching people on the shore shrink to the size of like ants rapidly. Like I think that happens in an episode of The Simpsons, but it, it looks like that scene. I, I, my dad was like, I guess, kind of freaking out. I didn't have like a good sense of how dangerous it is to be like swept out to open ocean, like adrift like, in a yeah, fucking rubber <laughs> I boat. I I could just like swim back or something. You know, but, you don't think uh, of
0: Martha's Vineyard as having those sort of tides. Like, you know, the, the Cape Cod, like that sort of Massachusetts beach is usually pretty calm in my memories because I, I, I spent a lot of time uh, visiting those beaches uh, as a kid myself.
1: Yeah, and that's actually why they warn so much about riptides, because people don't expect it. But I, I had a couple times on my when you're getting pulled into rip tides. It's more dangerous if you're swimming, because then you just kind of run out of energy trying to swim back, because you can't swim against it. You have to swim diagonally to cut through them. Either way, this riptide wasn't, like, insanely serious, but my dad could not row us back to shore and <laughs> because of the current. And I look over the side, and I'm having a great time, because I-, I think I was, like, eight when this happened. I was very young. And I looked over the edge, and there are just like insane. There's like a forest of jellyfish around us. I'm like, Dad, look! <laughs> they're huge. Like these, they're like the bigger than dinner plates. They have these massive, like, red stingers and tentacles and shit hanging down. My dad is like hyperventilating. I'm like, What's wrong, Dad? Like, this is fun.
0: But, uh,. Eventually that year we're going to need a bigger boat moment?
1: (laughs) Yeah, basically. This is also, I think, the last time my dad was allowed to take this stupid raft out, at least on, like, ocean. Because my mom, as you can imagine, was, like, running up and down the beach. Like, she was the only person I could really distinctly see from that distance. Because she was just running up and down the beach, like, screaming and, like, (laughs) begging people for help. (laughs) My dad could tell, I think, like, that he was going to get into a shitload of trouble when he got back to the beach. But eventually, like, I mean, it was fine. We let the surf just carry the raft back in. It took forever, but eventually we made it back. But (laughs) it was just a pretty funny uh, example of, like, I don't know, I guess weird moments in father-son bonding.
0: Yeah, being, like, adrift in, like, an ocean of jellyfish. Just, like, you know, your dad just, like, flipping out and having, like, a panic attack.
1: You know, you yeah, fall I into mean, an
0: ocean of jellyfish, you know, you you might uh, break your dick or something. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't have trusted, like, fucking, like, my dad
1: is from Iowa, landlocked state, to be this, like, seafaring, like, captain, but I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of lessons there, um, you know, don't necessarily trust that your dad knows everything.
1: It's a good lesson for the show in general. A lot of our uh, show is about not necessarily uh, taking people's authority based on their position in society or whether or not they're your father or whatever.
0: <laughs> or your daddy, Donald Trump. Isn't that what like Milo Yiannopoulos called Trump? Was like daddy? Yeah, I believe so. His media company got. Uh, enormous uh, layoffs this week Uh, they they performed uh, culling of their staff so that's fun too yep
1: maybe he'll get to drink some of that Bill Gates feces water I would like to see that
0: yeah and I'd throw him to the alligators in the sewers (laughs) for sure and that's the plunge for this week and follow the show on twitter at plunge underscore podcast and seriously we really appreciate you guys listening and it would really help us out if you could rate us five stars on itunes so more people can see the show and hear the show and uh you know get into some of the fecal drinking stories we provide you each week
1: I mean, yeah, we had a lot of great stuff here. We had George Clooney's Bizarre Prayer for America. We had the DNC conspiring to keep its own candidates from participating in competitive primaries.
0: Yeah, and Joy Reid and Neera Tandon acting like complete fools and the outrage over Sarah Huckabee Sanders is getting made fun of. Just this is just such a fucking week of shit.
1: Some content. I mean, and also on the show, we I think we can take credit for catching the Golden State Killer because we talked about the Michelle McNamara book last week and then he got caught like just right after that because maybe the, you know, the authorities were listening to the podcast. I mean, I don't know what they like on the podcast. We we diss the cops all the time on the show, but
0: uh <laughs> I like to think we played a role. That's just undeniable and we will see you all next time peace